0: Just wanted to give everybody a little bit of update. Stealthy Nutrition, we are finally back in stock with the Sleep Gummies, melatonin-free herbal formula with CVD and CBN. We have been back-ordered for three months now, I think, and we just got our shipment in today. I'm so excited. So we have the mixed berry flavor, and we have a new favorite sour peach. This is Ryan's new favorite, the sour peach. I think everybody's going to fall in love with that. So, uh wild, not wild berry, mixed berry starts shipping tomorrow, which is February 21st, and sour peach will ship next Monday starting the 27th. So, just wanted to give everybody a little update. I get a ton of emails and requests and everybody wondering where the sleep gummies are. They are back in stock and if you were on the back order list yours are going out tomorrow so you'll have them in your hands soon all right that's just an update stealthynutrition.com as always use the code stealthy stealthy with an h and you will get 10% off So there's been a lot of interesting stuff in the news lately um, around the food supply. And as many folks have heard, uh, eggs are in short supply. Um, We have chickens and this time of year, because it's super cold out, they don't lay the best, but they do lay. We do have the proper feed and we've got light, et cetera, and some heat and stuff. So they do lay. They just don't lay as much as they do when it's nicer outside. Um, And our chickens are getting older. And a lot of them aren't laying Last Summer, three of them just, I went out there and just found three of them dead. So our girls are getting older. They're not laying as much. And so we need to get a new brood. The problem is finding laying chickens right now is about impossible. So what did Ryan and the girls do the other day? They went and bought 12 new baby chicks. Our local place here sold out of chicks in literally a couple hours. Um, and then we missed that one. and then the next day, I think they got a shipment in, and so we were able to be a part of that. But even by the time Ryan showed up to get those ones, he said they were pretty much cleaned out. So I think that there's a big run right now on people realizing that they need to maybe have a little bit more of their own um source of getting food. And eggs, of course, are really kind of a cheap and easy way to get protein and good fat. And so um, if if your family likes eggs, then considering getting chickens in the past was something I think people were like, oh, we'll do it sooner or later. I don't know. But now it seems to be really hard to get chickens. And uh, we'll see how long this goes on. There is talk out there you know, that there's going to be another pandemic and it's going to be a bird flu this time, et cetera, et cetera. So something is going on. They're calling all these birds. And if you have your own chickens, I think that's a great way to, um, get this, uh, very useful high protein source in your diet, but hopefully where you're at, you can find some, um, I think Ryan and I had this conversation this last week and we're, you know, we realize in the last couple of years, we've gotten away from gardening as much just because it was a time issue. Moving to Montana, starting an entirely new garden out on the high plains and the clay soil, we sort of moved away from it mainly because planting season is summit season for us. And so we've been gone up in the hills and it was just getting complicated for us to find the time to do it. So. We moved away from it, even though every year we have had a garden and we have grown some food. And like last year, I grew a lot of flowers. Really, um, we started talking about how we need to get back to uh, food. We need to get back to the garden. We need to get back to food prep. That was one of our biggest things that we did when we first started this podcast. You know, we had a very large garden. Every fall, we were harvesting. We were we were. Pre- Prepping and prep preparing food for the fall and the winter. Uh, Ryan's got this new toy of the Harvest Right that he's had for a little over a year now, and he's kind of going gangbusters. So you know, our kitchen flooded at Christmas, so we have not actually had a full kitchen. I have a utility sink, and I have my oven hooked in, but we don't have any kitchen cabinets on the lower part. We don't have a kitchen counter, so it's been a little interesting. Um, doing food but what we found ryan's finding is he's just taking meat uh that he needed to clean up and cut and all that we're just taking stuff like that um grinding it boiling it and then freeze drying it and it can go in cans or bags and last for over 25 years So we decided actually this year we're going to freeze dry a bunch of our meat because we have, yes, folks, five freezers in our garage. It's sort of ridiculous. And they're full of meat and everything else. And I mean, God forbid the power goes out or something, even with a generator to keep all that stuff going. It's a little ridiculous. So we have the medium sized harvest, right? We're hoping to get the large one. We're investing in the large one because it will do a lot more food. The extra large does a whole ton. I don't know if we're going to go that high up, but if you have the finances for that, that would be the way to go, especially to do all your meat really, really quick. Um, So we're going to end up doing a lot of that. And we just found that the freeze drying, just the time in which your food lasts and the nutrient quality of the food is by far... How it does dehydrating. Now, dehydrating isn't bad, and we have dehydrators, and we do dehydrate certain things. So we make leathers in there, we make jerky in there. Um, you can have your dehydrators going as well, and um, we like the one from. We do have um Excalibur. We've got a couple of those, the dehydrators, and then the nine tray, and then we have a ten tray from uh, Meet Your Maker, and that one's really nice. We use that one as well. So, and then we've got a grinder from them and we have a um, chamber sealed vacuum packer. I think that's what it's called from them. So we really have everything. And Ryan is getting serious now. He he used to be such a prepper. And when we moved to Montana, he slowly, he kind of got out of it a little bit. I just don't know if the winters are longer here and we got lazy And COVID hit, and I mean, we were gardening and everything, but we just weren't doing what we used to do. And now he's, like, getting back to business. He's got a whole area in the basement. He has a prepping area now. We have a fridge down there. We have a small freezer down there so he can freeze or we have a larger freezer actually. And he freezes all his, you know, when you, you're you going to freeze dry something, you like make it and then you freeze it and then you put it in the freeze dryer and it works a lot faster. So he's got a whole system um, that he's running. And my next step is <clears throat> I'm going to get like a hydroponic greens grower. Um, I went over to my neighbor's house and she had this really cool thing where she grew greens and herbs and stuff. And We've seen those before, but in Washington, you know, we could just grow them in our greenhouse. um, And I really want to have one of those. I think they're great for just keeping greens throughout the winter, which our winter is so long here in Montana. So I'm researching those. If anybody has ones that they like, you know, drop me a DM or send me an email um, from the website at stealthyhunter.com. And so I'm looking into that. And then we are also going to be turning our basement again into a grow place for starts. And we're hoping that we can start getting our starts, start getting our starts going here in the next month. So this is a very appropriate introduction because we're going to talk to Sean McCoy again from Frank's Little Farm in Missoula. And we're just going to talk about winter gardening and the things to get ready for planting season and summer. Here in the north, it is winter. Um, I don't know too many people unless they have a heated greenhouse that are doing anything outside, but you can be doing starts. Um, You can be picking your seeds would be the first thing. Um, Taking time off, you can be planting your gardens, um, figuring out what you do want to do. So Ryan and I are going to be doing more of that this year and we're going to be sharing more of this as well. We're going to kind of get back to our roots. Also, Ryan has just gone down the freeze drying rabbit hole and uh, I think he's got a lot to share we are also doing backcountry DIY dehydrated and freeze-dried food course with the Livisades from Treeline Pursuits and we're getting uh, ready to film that very soon that's going to basically be a class on everything you need to know especially to make your own food uh, for the backcountry for one for camping hiking hunting But I think it's also going to turn into just, you know, how to use this to prepare and to have new highly, high quality, nutritious foods at your fingertips. Um, So that's going to be coming out soon. You can watch for that. You can also go over to treelinepursuits.com. There is a tab there. If you want to get on the list to be notified about the course when it comes out, Um, you can go there and sign up for that. They are also doing a bear course. So those of you who do hunt and are interested in bear hunting, there's also a sign up there to be notified when the bear course is ready to go. So as I'm sure most of you who are listening know, treelinepursuits.com is the e-scouting platform, the elk e-scouting course that Mark does. And Mark is probably one of the most detailed and efficient guys. He's taught at all of our summits on e-scouting. He's one of the most requested uh, speakers at our summits. He just has tons of information. He's super smart. He's got the computer stuff all figured out. So we're going to be doing a lot of classes with him and uh, working with Treeline Pursuits to put some of our online classes. So you can go check that out and get on the email list maybe if you want to be pre-notified. All right, so I'm going to let Sean go ahead and take over this podcast. Sean McCoy from Frank's Little Farm. If you want to reach out to him, you can DM him on Instagram at Frank's Little Farm. And uh, yeah, all right, everybody have a great week. All right, well, here we are and we are in the middle of winter, Sean. It is currently at my house, 20 below zero. I don't know how warm it is at your house right now um you're in the warm part of the state it's negative bad?
1: eight negative Ooh, eight
0: toasty <laughs>
1: balmy negative eight <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah balmy negative eight i'm looking out the window right now at my garden and i can't even hardly see most of the boxes because uh the snow is so deep um and <laughs> it's very cold so gardening is kind of maybe not on the radar for a lot of people right now in montana Obviously, there's a lot of other places in the world people are listening from here. Maybe in Arizona right Right now, now. they're gardening, right? Growing things. This is their gardening season, really. Yep. And I always forget about that. You know, when you live in the north, you think like in the winter, everybody's having winter. And you realize lots of places are not having winter this time of year. They're actually growing their food this time of year. So... I wanted to have you back on just because everybody loves your podcast before the series that we did on gardening. I've got tons of comments on it and um, I wanted to just have you back on and maybe we can talk. I mean, maybe I can let you talk about this time of year, what you think is important, um, what we should be getting ready for, because as us old folks know, time goes by really fast and the next thing we know, it'll be summer, right? Um, hard to believe when it's so cold out right now but yeah sure. <clears throat> so I'm gonna kind of give you the floor because you like I said gardening's not really on my radar right now but um, let's just talk a little bit about how you've been and um, what, ta- what where you're at especially with your farm and like all that kind of stuff right now what's what's going on in the gardening world
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Doc. I really appreciate being here again. I really I actually really enjoy this, and I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous this time. This is the first oh. time I've done this where I don't have butterflies in my belly. So
0: Wow. Well, congrats. <laughs> You've now graduated too. Thank you.
1: <laughs> so, thanks again for having me. Um I really appreciate being here. And you. um you know, I think for I think for folks that are in the northern climates, um The best thing I can say is enjoy this. This is part of being in the gardening cycle, right? So your garden is down, not doing anything. It's cold. It's below zero out there. And that's kind of where we should be to a certain extent. I know for humans, it's very hard because we all have our jobs and we got to get up and go and um, whatnot. But we should also be kind of hungered down. Thinking about drinking our bone broths and lots of soup. And ideally, if you had a successful garden, you've got some potatoes or winter squash and onions that you're putting in there. Um, I can't tell you how lucky I feel most meals of the day, you know, of the week, it's it's everything, you know, from our garden. It, it almost you know, not 90% of the time, but we have a lot of meals throughout the week where it's just stuff from the garden or things that I hunted or a combination of thereof. And so ideally, if you're in a colder climate, you're getting to do more of that and you're getting to rest, right? Like, I think it's one of the things that I love the most about being part of kind of the natural cycle of things whether you're in it in you know day-to-day routine sun coming up sun going down or the longer routine of winter and spring and summer and fall is that you can really be in that season and take it for what it is so you know like we're resting we're in the same boat we're having a hard winter it's a balmy negative eight outside as we said the farm is covered in more snow than I've seen in a long time. Um, we had a hundred feet of carrots that were supposed to get harvested after I came home from hunting, but because, you know, winter kicked in on October 22nd or 23rd, you know, opening weekend, we got our big, nasty, terrible storm and it hasn't let up. And so, you know, we have a hundred feet of Carrots just out in the field waiting for a fall for us to see how they turned out. Um, and ideally, um, they're going to be really good. We'll see what happens.
0: Mm, so these are going to be super sweet. I'm, it, it, we talked about carrots a little bit and yes. overwintering carrots and what they turn out like.
1: Yes. And so as long as they're insulated well enough so that they don't, um, what can happen with carrots if, you know, so I didn't get straw on there because I was anticipating harvesting them because I've never seen a season like we've had. Um, and we'll, we'll back up and get back into, you know, last year a little bit. Um, but so yes, um, the, uh, carrots, if they're insulated well enough, will hold in the ground and they packed on a whole bunch of sugar to survive that frozen tundra cold weather Um, and as long as they don't freeze up and even if they do a lot of times if they freeze they'll freeze in the top say two or three inches and as long as the carrots are big enough the bottom will be just fine and you can still go in harvest those carrots and cut the tops off and you just won't get better carrots they're just They're hands down the sweetest, tastiest carrots you'll ever get. Um, And I highly recommend this to any gardeners that if you want to play around with this idea of overwintering carrots in one of your beds or in your boxes, you know, it's a really quickly. It's a planting date of like end of May, first of June. And then depending on where you're at, maybe it's mid-June at the latest, but then you just kind of let them go. And um, if you want, you can try and harvest in, say, November. And then if your window closes, get them covered up with a bunch of straw and come back to them in, uh, I don't know, I'm hoping for March is what I'm, you know, hoping Mm. for. And it's just phenomenal. They're so good. Um, And we can talk more in depth about it at some other point in time. Um, And so, you know, we're just really kind of hunkered in. You know, the kids are back in school, so we're seeing um, as we talked earlier, lots of colds coming in and out. We're skiing every weekend. I got a season pass. My son Cassius has got a season pass. My daughter nice. is under the 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 age, so she gets to run go for free. Um, and we're you know, we're really, really fortunate. We have snowball and it is a twenty to twenty five minute drive for us. Um, and it's not um you know, it's a really difficult hill, but it's not intimidating to me because I grew up on a very similar hill outside of Pocatello. So we go every weekend, every Saturday, we're up on the hill, the kids are doing lessons, I'm getting some runs in. Um, and then I'm just waiting for a big powder day so I can throw on a snowboard and go hit some pow pow.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we did a three day ski trip over at Discovery with um we got like this off-grid cabin and we stayed there that was an interesting story <laughs> we'll talk about it another time but um we stayed there just kind of down the hill from discovery and then we skied and discovery's great cause probably a lot like snowball it's like it's inexpensive it's a good hill tana's just learning you know so it's a great hill for learning because the greens are fairly easy greens um and they've got some really difficult they got a lot of backside that's like diamonds and stuff but lots of blues it it, it was great and the weather was awesome and um and it made me realize you know as your kids get older you know when they're in the baby stage and you're just like you don't go skiing because it's so expensive and you both can't ski together or your kids aren't old enough and i I was never this person that felt safe enough putting my baby in like a baby backpack to ski. I've seen people do that, which I think is like really dangerous. takes one ski tip, and you and that kid are going down, you know that's my opinion, but and now it's like they're older and it's so fun because they're kind of getting better, and I really reinvigorates the love that I have for skiing that I kind of lost after Paley was born because Paley was a winter baby. She was a January baby. So it seemed like once Paley was born, I just never really got back into skiing that much. Um and so it's been fun this year because we've had good snow. We were we've able to go a few places. Um we are not as fortunate as you you know uh Discovery's an hour and a half Uh Showdown is Great Hill too, but they're about an hour and a half. Bridger Bowl is only an hour, but you know, Bridger Bowl is kind of expensive and it's kind of crowded. And then Big Sky is way out of our pay grade. It's like I think almost 170 bucks a day to ski for a ski ticket at Big Sky. Um, but we were lucky enough. I have a patient who lives in the Yellowstone Club and we were lucky enough to go spend a day at the Yellowstone Club. He invited us to come, which was very gracious of him. Um, and we had an amazing time. And you know why? Because the Yellowstone Club has nobody on the mountain. And it literally, you have a whole mountain to yourself. It's just members. And it was slow season or whatever. It was after holidays. It was great because, you know, when your kids are learning to ski, and part of the fear when you're learning to ski and you're snow plowing and you're turning is people coming. So these busy ski hills, they get kind of intimidating for kids when they're learning to ski, and there's nobody. So we could just do groomers all day long, and Tiana be really comfortable. She's kind of like me. She's kind of a nerve nervous wreck with heights and people, and so it was awesome. We had an amazing time. Um, but uh, yeah, I really have rekindled some love for skiing again. So I'm like maybe talking about money earlier rethinking about putting some money into the season passes for some place, you know, Bridger and Big Sky are kind of expensive, but Big Sky has this program where if you have good grades, I guess, um, you can get your kid a season's pass for $400. Wow. If they have good grades. So you can show that, you know, and it'd be even worth it getting something like that for the kids. And then, I mean, the season's passes to Big Sky are still expensive, but if you get them a good time, you could probably even that out if you could get the kids for 400 bucks, like, that's pretty cheap, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think skiing is kind of like, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like when you're in that place and you're skiing, it's like if the world leaders would just get together and go skiing for one day, there would be world peace. Like, it just feels so good. It's beautiful. You're moving like, it's gorgeous. You know what I mean? You're getting yes. a little bit adrenaline. And you're kind of happy. Like it just, I don't know. It just makes me happy. I don't know why it makes me happy. And so I always used to think like, God, people were just fighting and they could just go skiing. They just be all in love and happy. And maybe that's why ski bums are just so that, and probably all the stuff they're smoking, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, I mean, if you can, you know, and of course, it's important to acknowledge that's not everybody can afford it, but if you can, it is, it's, it's a great sport. And I grew up doing it and I really love having my kids into it. And I think it's just a good activity. And again, we're really fortunate because our local Hill is still kind of small and it's within our price. You know, it fits into our budget. It's a little tight, but we can do it. Um, And then, you know, another thing that I'll hit on as far as like for my routines, this is my time of year when I'm really back in the gym and this is our first year, you know, we're members at the YMCA. Um, and, you know, so, you know, if you can and you're, you're hunkered in a little bit more and you don't have that really hardcore work schedule, this is one of the things I love about being a farmer is it, as I'm able to live more in this cycle, um, I'm in bed with the kids most nights, 8, 8.30, maybe 9, up at 4.30, off to the gym by 5, get my workout in, home ideally by 7 or a little before 7 to help Prairie get the kids up and out the door for school. And then I have the rest of the day work um, on whatever projects I need to work on. And, you know, as far as farming and gardening, you know, this is the time of year for catalogs. Um, and... You know, we we kind of missed it last year when we, we got started with everything. But this is if you, if you aren't getting any catalogs and you're into gardening, get some catalogs coming to the front door. Um, there is there is no amount of enjoyment that um, I can speak to that comes from perusing through the seed catalogs. You know, they come in the mailbox, you're like, oh, new seed catalog. It's all flashy and glossy, unless you get the Fedco and Fedco's very, they're um, very straight and just black and white photos and everything. But, you know, it's fun to go through that seed catalog and just peruse the whole thing and see what's there. And then that kind of helps me be like, oh, well, let's go do our seed inventory, right? This is the type of time of year, go down, Do your seed inventory or wherever you happen to keep your seeds and, you know, go through your seeds, see what you got, get that inventory in place, and then you can start going back through your catalogs. And what we'll do a lot is we'll mark things out that we're interested in. trying out, you know, we're we going to do something fun and new for this season. Is there a new tomato we want to try? Or maybe the kids will see a carrot. You know, my kids like to go through the seed catalog too. Like my son is really into carrots. And so he's always trying to find these ca- different types of carrots. And that's one of his crops that we try and give him so that he can earn money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that for me is a lot of fun. Um, and I suppose maybe for some folks, it's not the, uh, most enjoyable thing in the world but it's to me a ton of fun and it gets you kind of started on the path towards your garden plan and so once you kind of get your idea of your seed inventory then you can start working out some of your garden plan and what you need to get for seeds in the upcoming season and I don't think From what I've heard um, through the kind of the grapevine, it sounds like seed companies are starting to catch up from the kind of rush for COVID there. We had the big rush over COVID. Everybody was gardening. It sounds like the seed companies are starting to kind of make up for that ground. There's a lot less demand um, for seeds. Um, I heard from some of my farmer friends who grow and sell seeds and then it just also seems like there's not quite as big a push. So maybe it's not as big of a deal for you to like start thinking about buying your seeds quite yet. But I would say by the end of February, really start to be getting that fine tuned. Like I think if you want to get the seeds that you want, you want to start purchasing by the end of February, 1st of March, because you know seeds have been running out in the last few years and you might not get everything that you want, or maybe something you want, um, is on hold. Like last year, my favorite melons were on hold. And then I forgot about it and didn't realize it until I went to like start them in the greenhouse and realized I didn't have my favorite melon seed. And it just became a snowball event from there because I ordered seed and it takes too long. And then they get in the ground late and then you only get a few melons. So it's, It's advantageous to start thinking about your garden now, if at all possible. Um, And if you can get those pieces of the puzzle rolling forward, then by the time you get to thaw and spring, you're really ahead of the game. And you've got a plan in place. And, you know, maybe you're adding on. Maybe you're taking away. You know, like we're taking a whole bunch away this year. Our our farm is going to shrink quite a bit. Um, and it's good to like have an idea of how you're going to go about that for the year and if you're new to gardening you can really start to look at what went well last year let's do that again and then let's find some more new things to try out and you know I'm always going to advocate expand your garden if you can if you're physically feel capable if you feel like you have time within your work schedule and your family schedule expand your garden make it bigger give yourself more room um you know like i just don't think you can go wrong and even if you're expanding your garden to put in carrots which is a simple crop that doesn't take an enormous amount of effort other than weeding and thinning and some things like that do it if you can you know like there was definitely a few um folks that started up gardens last year listening to this podcast and And I hope that they found success, and I hope they expand this year and keep going forward. Um, let's see. Oh, there's my landline. Sorry, folks.
0: Oh, I can't (laughs) hear it. It's good. Oh, good. You still have a landline. I think you might be the only person I know that has a landline.
1: I do (laughs) have a landline.
0: You're also one of these unique people that doesn't have a cell phone.
1: It's true. It's true. Um, So it's
0: that
1: for you uh i do and i love it and unfortunately it's probably going to go away and maybe at some point we'll talk about why but um what else can i think of here for seasons coming up you know another thing that maybe we can touch on for like expanding your garden oh here's my mom leaving a message Uh
0: I think Mom called one other time while we were doing a podcast. I think she's a regular on the show. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, she calls me at least at least two or three times a day.
0: Oh, that's sweet.
1: It is. It's nice. Um, so another part of expanding your garden um, that we can touch on, and you know, these are important things to think about now, is: are you going to do a structure? You know, like are you thinking about a greenhouse of some type? um or are you looking to do you know plastic wrap something that has to do with a little bit more infrastructure it's really good to start planning that stuff out and if nothing else making the decision do we want to do this or do we not want to do this because if you do want to go forward with something you know with inflation right now it is really advantageous in my opinion to start looking at these things ahead of time if you need two by fours if you need greenhouse plastic if you need something you can start working on that now um and if you're fortunate enough to have like a recycling center that brings in used lumber and things like that you can start going down there on a regular basis and collecting um that's something that i do a lot of is trying to collect materials to lower my costs later, um, rather than just running down to Home Depot—excuse uh, me, Home Depot—sayings <laughs> um, <laughs> sayings for the big box stores, you know, rather than running down to Home Depot and picking up everything brand new. And maybe that's right. a good budget. And if it is, great, go after it. I don't, you know, like I'm not judging you. I'm just, you know, coming at it from where I am, which is a little more frugal and um, needing to, you know incur that cost slower over time and then you know another thing to think about right now is your irrigation system did how was your irrigation system last year did it work out for you did it not work out do you want to add on to it do you want to change it completely um you know, where you find in that when you were doing just sprinklers, you were watering your tomatoes and your carrots and your lettuce and your tomatoes were cracking because of overwatering. You know, those are all the things that we can start looking at as far as our post last season coming up to the season ahead. Um, and I think that's a good start. What do you got?
0: Yeah. So I, uh, we actually recorded a podcast on tomatoes. Uh the last podcast we actually did together, you and me, was on tomatoes and the audio, something was really off on the audio. I don't know what it was. So I never posted it. Um, but we had done an entire discussion about tomatoes. So mm-hmm. um tomatoes seemed to be a big thing. They were a big thing for us in Washington. We grew them in our greenhouses though. Uh, and here we don't have a greenhouse, so we grew them. And you had brought me some tomatoes last season, and I grew them on my back porch. And I did a lot of what you had told me kind of in there in the tomato podcast, which we never aired. But I'm um, working with the fertilization, not overwatering. That's another thing that I think I didn't really understand about tomatoes and over I d- I knew that you're not supposed to necessarily water them from the top down, right? Because you can get well, in Washington we got tons of blight. So you had to be really careful how you watered your tomatoes. Um but I did a lot of that on my back porch and I did get a little bit of a harvest. I just those cherry tomatoes that you brought me. I did not do many more tomatoes last year. Um but I a few things that I learned last year about growing tomatoes on my deck was that I need a windscreen because my biggest problem here is uh, as far as being on the deck is my wind, the wind. So we, our house, the deck, the wind comes from north to south. And then we get sometimes really bad west wind as well that hit, came straight at the tomatoes. So Ryan and I realized last year, we need some sort of windscreen pergola. It also gets very hot back there. Like, um, and you had talked about with tomatoes, how if they get too hot, can you explain that a little bit? I don't exactly remember.
1: Absolutely. yeah. Um, and um this is this is a kind of a big one for folks. So yeah. when the temperature wherever your tomatoes are reaches the high 90s like 98, 97, mm-hmm. the pollen inside the flowers will kind of liquefy. It it gels a little bit and then they won't you they won't pollinate themselves. So tomatoes are typically self-pollinating. Um, you know, if you've got the viney kind, like what a lot of the like greenhouses do is they'll make sure that their, um, strings get jiggled a little bit. So the pollen is drifting, you know, most of us that, you know, gardeners, we don't have to worry about cause we got flies and bees and all the little critters that are running around pollinating for us. But if your pollen is liquefying because the outside temperatures are too hot, or maybe you're like in your guys' case we talked about, you're on the deck, but that temperature is exceeding on a regular basis, your fruit won't set. And then so what you'll start seeing is that you've got your flowers are just kind of dropping off. And that's because they didn't set fruit and keep going forward. Um, And so if you've got a garden box, that's up in the corner of the house. And a lot of people get a little confused because – Typically, we say tomatoes can handle all the heat you can give them, you know, and that is true to a certain extent, but it's not true for the the high temperatures. When we start breaking into 98, 99, 100, um, that becomes problematic, particularly if it's a long periods of time. So say, you know, here at, at our farm, you know, maybe in a good summer, hot summer, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, we'll we'll break that temperature range, right? We'll get into the 99s, 100s, 105s, but it only lasts for a few hours. And there has been a large window on either side for animals to pollinate your, your bees and stuff. So if you're reaching temperatures early and for long periods of time, and you're noticing these blossoms dropping off, then you've got to find a way to lower the temperature in that area. And one of the, you know, things that I would recommend for folks is a shade cloth. If you can find yourself some type of shade cloth, you know, in your guys' case, to continue on the deck, it would be some, you know, some definite infrastructure kind of trying to build maybe some hoops or something that you could move it up and down or maybe we were
0: gonna maybe put a pergola up so we could still get some light but it had shade Mm -hmm. and then you could shade that pergola if you needed to the problem is that deck faces west yes so once the sun gets over like after two three o'clock I mean it is direct sun on our porch until sunset Mm -hmm. and the siding if you go out there and try to touch the siding in the afternoon, like it's a full-on sauna. I mean, you could sit out there next to the siding and get like fried on that deck. So that's where I screwed up this year was I didn't take heed of that and I left those tomatoes out in that hot sun too much. The wind and then that hot sun, and so I noticed I would get some, but I didn't get a whole lot, and I think it was because of that. So um, my front porch gets good morning sun so I don't know if that would be better to have the tomatoes on the front porch where they get the morning sun and they're still going to get warm because it's it's warm I mean it's 100 degrees some days out here at our house but the front porch is shaded after about 11 o'clock in the morning but then I've thought like tomatoes need more sun than that um And so I didn't have them on the front porch. I had them on the back porch.
1: Well, and then you've also got the challenge with the front porch. The deer will come wandering through and nibble on some things. If I don't. Yeah, I I have to.
0: I couldn't do that. I guess you're right. On my front porch, they would, they would do that. And our front porch is a worse wind tunnel. So if the wind is blowing from north to south or south to north in the winter, some summer, sometimes it's doing that out of the south. That (laughs) over that covered porch that we have is like literally a wind tunnel when you walk out there it's just like
1: mm-hmm.
0: sometimes the wind is actually worse on the front porch um now last year the two years before ryan had a, out the, had them out in the garden in tires he had built tires up you know and he planted them down in the tires so they could grow up the problem we had was our watering system and mm. we were doing the overhead watering so they were getting watered probably too much and that's i'm learning from you my the, the the tires block the wind which is great but i think they were getting too much water mm-hmm. and they were getting watered from the top so that's not good either um it's
1: not but, ideal um and yeah. i would definitely say that you know like you didn't screw up right you just you know it's a learning process right and yeah you're 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 doing an experiment right you've never tried growing out here so it's important that in my mind that people don't be too hard on yourselves when something doesn't go quite right just make the mental notes or make notes about it and try and change the environmental conditions um so you know like for you guys if you're if you're kind of stuck with that porch situation. you know, building whatever what was it? are you calling it again? What is that? It's
0: called a pergola, my builders, but that's what she called it. So it's where they build it so that the wood comes out and it's slatted, so there's oh, shade, yeah, yeah. but there's still sun coming through a little bit. It's not, it's not like a total, like you know, roof.
1: Yes. Okay, yeah. I got you. So that could help. And the shade cloth that I was mentioning, so you can buy shade cloths, um, and, you know, depending on how much you want to spend, um, you can buy it with as much light penetration as you want. So you can, you know, like, so my peppers, we put shade cloth on all of our peppers these days, and it's like a, it's a, it's either 30 or 40% light reduction.
0: And, and are you, your peppers in a in your greenhouse? No. Or? You're there outside the- in the ground? Mm-hmm. So do you yeah. just have hoops or something and you're putting the shape cloth over it or do you so, just,
1: no, go I'm sorry. But, I didn't mean Do it.
0: you put the shape cloth right on them?
1: Um, so what we do is we use T posts um, mm-hmm. and then we string them from the T posts. And then on my um, South and East sides, I try and do a little bit of a curtain and what we're trying to prevent with this is sun scalding. Yeah. Um, and for peppers, that's really huge. And I've had a real problem with it for many years. Um, and starting not last year, but the year before that I started using shade cloth and my peppers are doing so much, much better. Um, We had a
0: shade cloth in our green, on our greenhouse in Washington, because in the summertime it would get really hot in there. And so we had to have a shade cloth on our hoop. You know, we had a hoop house greenhouse, so we had the shade cloth that shade cloth. Now we, we used it and turned it into a grasshopper trap <laughs> when we moved here because we were like what do we do with this and ryan made this huge net thing with it and we were out we'd just go out in the front yard and catch grasshoppers because all we had was grasshoppers for years um yeah
1: which but was- i mean i don't know if we should delve into that now we'll say let's save that because that's it we- fascinating thing that you guys did not have grasshoppers last year
0: so we did not have grasshoppers my mother and i think i've said this in another podcast my mother who has lived here since i was in second grade right long time she said that they come in three year hits so you get them for three years in a row and then they kind of go back but if you were to get them again you can kind of expect that they're going to come back uh two more years after that year uh, our third year, they weren't nearly as bad. The first two years, they were horrific. And we did a lot of podcasts on how we're basically just feeding the grasshoppers. But after we ha- we talked with you and we did all this investigation of it, the next year, they just really didn't come back. Um, interestingly enough, we went to look at a ranch out um, in the breaks for our summits uh, this year. We're probably going to be doing our uh, summits out in the breaks which is really awesome because it's a brand new territory, you know, and the breaks is kind of a mule deer haven. Um, it's way out there. This is like real way out there, Montana, but the rancher who's uh, he's a cattle rancher. And he said they, this year they had the grasshoppers ate everything. Hmm. Like they struggled with feeding their, like their cows are grass fed. Basically the grasshoppers ate it down to nothing. And so they had it over there this year. They had grasshoppers, and I think he said they had in last two years, but we didn't have them here, so I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat>
1: there is yeah. definitely a cyclical pattern to grasshoppers and most insects, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a pattern that, that comes with the amount of moisture and rain and you know dry spells. So there's a lot going on there. Um,
0: we had a lot of rain last year. Remember, yeah. you you had the problem with your tomatoes, and we didn't even. It was raining through June here. We were having huge rainstorms. So, would that be a factor, and maybe why the grasshoppers were so bad here?
1: I, no, I, wetter think so. is worse
0: for them, or drier is better for them, right?
1: Um, or I don't I guess know. I can't can't. I should stay. be a
0: grasshopper expert. I maybe mean, I should
1: study <laughs> up on that. <laughs> you have to go back to school. Um, no. I
0: mean,
1: this is anecdotal, but I definitely think there is a correlation between, um, how much rainfall we get in the spring and how many bugs we end up having overall. Um, and it, it's a relationship that I think changes species to species. Cause I feel like when we have a really wet spring, we see more flies in the high country and things like that. But we, you know, like I didn't see as many grasshoppers last year either. Um, but, you know, again, there's a lot of factors going into that. And my guess is, is that there's probably studies out there that can explain it more. Um, but they have a cycle. And, you know, I think the important thing for gardeners is to, you know, if you, if you start a garden like you guys did and you're just overwhelmed by grasshoppers, don't allow that to define your experience just recognize that that's that season and we're going to try again next year and we're going to see what happens and we're going to shift things around and we're going to find ways to protect things and keep plugging forward with that garden because sooner or later you can either get your pests under control through different means you know whether it's mowing the grass and for grasshoppers you can you know keep the feed down you can use uh, some different um Sema spore, which is just a spore that they eat, and then it kind of kills them, and then that can transition through a few of the generations um, within that season because they cannibalize each other. Um, but over time, things are going to change. So don't let setbacks, you know, determine how you're going to garden keep moving Well, i
0: think the problem with the pests like that is if they're cyclical it's really hard to 100 percent determine because you kind of have to be prepared before the season because let's say the grasshoppers start and you start seeing grasshoppers like you know you have to have the the protection for your greens or like you have to have all this stuff kind of ready to go you have to put the spore stuff down because we had the problem like literally it was like overnight there were so many grasshoppers that there was no way we were going to be able to build stuff to keep them out at Mm -hmm. at that point. So it would be like a preparation thing where you have to have the possibility that you could be having those pests. And so you need to have your garden almost like preparing as if you were going to have grasshoppers. And then maybe if they don't show up, you don't have to use all the protection and stuff, but that's what we figured out. And we did get some of that stuff you told us to get where we put around around the bot we put in the garden and. But we were so thick into the grasshoppers by then, I don't really know if we saw a difference because it was too late. Their life cycle had already, there was like billions of them. And that is not an exaggeration. Like you would walk out in the front yard, you would be getting pelleted in the face with them. That's how thick they were. Um, I took my dad on a walk at Headwaters one day. He came to visit. We couldn't even walk the trail at Headwaters because we were getting pelted in the face with grasshoppers. Every time you took a step, they were just like. So I feel like there's some preparation that has to go. If you know you're going to have that possibly, you have to kind of be prepared and ready and um, maybe act as if. Maybe when you're in a place long enough, because that's kind of how we were too in Washington, you know, we were on that little piece of land for 20 years, a little bit more than 20 years. So we kind of knew the cycles a little bit. We had slugs. That was our biggest pest. And they came every year. Slugs just come no matter what. But we have a lot of water there. So we're going to have a lot more slugs. Um, but you kind of learn the land, you kind of learn the pests. you kind of learn the cycles. So we, we've only been here, you know, we haven't been here that long to really understand like, okay, this is like the cycle of the grasshopper. This is, it comes three, it's gone for three, comes back, but that's, that may take you over a decade or more to really learn about your place. And, um. think this is where a lot of people get frustrated and they give up on these things and they get frustrated because you have to be patient and these things are not immediate gratification right they you have to learn their life cycle and that could take like two decades i mean people don't want to think about that but like sometimes if, if you're going to be in one place um you might learn 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 about that um
1: yeah and I mean, those are really good points. Um, and you know, like, if that long-term thought process is unappealing to you, um, then you know, maybe gardening's not for you or maybe you really love gardening, and that's just a component that you need to start learning how to manage better. And I think you're dead right, right? You got to be prepared for those grasshoppers. And, you know, some of the things that you can start to learn is that if if you're really, paying attention the grasshoppers really start kind of i'm going to say you know around here in late may and if you're if you're seeing them you'll you'll find them um when they're little babies babies. and they're not making that big of an impact on things yet Mm -hmm. you might not even see them on your plants they're just kind of on the ground doing their thing but if you can catch them at that age and you'll be like oh I got grasshoppers, then you can start to, you know, like get your defenses ready to go. Um, you know, and the same thing goes with just about, you know, any pest. If you're if you're seeing some aphids in say June, then you know, like last year, we had unbelievable aphids in the fall. Um, and flea beetles. I man, last year was the worst flea beetle season I have ever seen. Mm. Um and There were a lot of things that were really hard about last year. I put last year in the top three most difficult seasons um, that I've, you know, my 15 years of farming, it is in the top three. Um,
0: I grew a lot of flowers. So you brought me calendula, you brought me broccoli, cabbage. I did grow those, Um, but I just, I planted like wildflower mixes and the, The calendula was great last year. It was amazing. I harvested some of the seeds, so I'm excited. But there's a ton of seeds out there. I'm I'm going to be shocked if my entire garden next year is not calendula everywhere. There are so many. And they did great. But I kind of last year, I just felt like one, Ryan didn't really garden much. And he's really kind of the connoisseur of the gardening. And me, it was just kind of enjoyable to grow a few things and see how they grew and what I liked or didn't like about them. Um, and then grow flowers, and I had cut flowers, and I had the calendula. So that's kind of what I did last year just because um, I wasn't like overly excited about keeping up on the garden. I think that's another thing we have to talk about is that you're talking about planning, getting prepared, picking the seeds you want, picking the plants you want, but also thinking about what is your commitment. Um, and with Ryan and I, what's happened over the last few years is that we have summits in June and june is our main planting season here in in montana whereas in washington our planting season was really march through may depending on if we were planting in the greenhouse or kind of like you do getting ready for the summer in your greenhouses you know that's what we were doing so june was even somewhat of a harvest season depending on the plants that we had planted already right peas and stuff like that whereas here june is our planting season and when we have summits. um it's just kind of become hard for us to plant. So we ended up planting late, but last year it rained crazy. And uh, so we didn't get a lot planted and we just weren't really committed. So I think that's another thing. Like, what is your commitment? How much you said, you know, you're always a fan of expanding, adding more to your garden, but also understanding commitment, how much time you have. Um, and I think we've started navigating that that's been our biggest culprit that's been our biggest thing we think about when we garden now you know we used to just love to like get the seeds and plant everything but in Washington it was kind of easy to experiment it was easy to do that kind of stuff and because things really grew I mean they kind of grew easily compared to here and so here we have to be strategic because it's a lot of wasted money if you just get seeds and then you plant it and they're not going to do good anyways and then if you're not committed to taking care of them Um, I think that's a big problem for me this year kind of one of my goals is the watering system I think the watering system is really important here for sure having a drip system like we talked about in our previous podcast I think that would benefit us the most so that the food that we did have if we were leaving and we were going and you know like we do travel or we're camping or we're at the summits or whatever our garden is getting taken care of and we're not relying on like a house sitter Uh, you know, with the sprinklers and and that kind of thing, Um, we can have more of that drip system going. So to me, I feel like that's what I would like to focus on. The other thing is, is a greenhouse where we live is pretty essential for a lot of things. And that's just because of the short growing season. Uh, We don't live in the climate you live in, you live in a different zone than we do. I I believe you're in a zone ahead of us, right? Or They're
1: kind of breaking zones into halves and stuff now. So like, there's like 5a and 5b and
0: yeah you're you're in a zone you're kind of in the garden belt over there you get more sun you get warmer a little more humidity I think you're kind of like northern Idaho you just get a little bit more of that than we do and um so you know like for us it's kind of the commitment it's the time It's what we're going to grow, not wasting too much money, and then getting the greenhouse set up so that we can have a longer growing season. Unfortunately, because of the wind, we we cannot have a hoop house here. We have to actually have a structure. Mm -hmm. Um, A hoop house would be gone. Sayonara. It'd be like over in the neighbor's 10 acres. (laughs) If, if it, you know, as far as just hoops and plastic, like we, we would have to have a structure and we're very interested in these underground structures um we've been reading on those learning about those uh that the greenhouse is actually underground and so that we have protection and then we have the heat a little bit better protection in the winter so we could have a little bit more uh, use we could have use of it in the winter but it's a huge project like that unless you're going to pay somebody a lot of money to come do it for you and you you, you're not doing any of it right and for us that that's not financially realistic for us um you know to just have somebody else come do it um but then even if you had that you have to manage it you have to take care of it you have to you know and then what are you going to do with it after you spend all that money on it you've got to commit that you're actually going to garden in it right that's the other thing like oh great we have this beautiful greenhouse and we never do anything with it um I think we should turn it into a podcast studio. That'd be pretty cool. Out yeah. there in the with the whatever. But anyways, those, those are kind of been our things. And as we talk about this, and I think the grasshopper years kind of like wake up years for us. Mm-hmm. You know, like, as you can see behind me, the pictures that I have of our garden in Washington. I mean, this was just like so easy. Strawberries came out of the ground, raspberries, peas. Uh, you know, we had a lot and maybe we're just more committed um we didn't have hunt harvest health back then mm. we 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 worked jobs and we we gardened and then when we were gardening we we did stuff as a family or just me and ryan you know we didn't have the podcast we didn't have two other businesses we didn't have an event company so um for me i'm happy having pots on the porch you know i'm happy having like food right there accessible but it's not it's not like a ginormous garden um, Ryan's called kind of an all or nothing guy. Like we're either gonna plant a massive garden or we're not gonna do anything. Cause, you know. But as we went through 2020 and we've gone through these years and we've seen the pricing of food, the cost of food now, shopping at the grocery store. Um, you know, we understand the importance of keeping some of it going. And uh, we used to have a, a, our mentality before COVID. I feel like after COVID, it was just related to our time and to our businesses, but we were much more um, preppers before COVID. We, You know, 10 years ago, if COVID had hit, oh, we would have had a whole basement full of canned and prepared food and all that. And and we didn't have that because we were actually busier during COVID. Um, So we weren't as prepared as we would want to be. But um, that's what, like you just said, we love about having fresh food in the winter or food that we had this last summer that we prepared and we're eating it in the winter. Um, Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that we missed from the garden that we had in Washington. So we're still working on that. Yeah.
1: Well, and man, that is that is such a good point as far as like this time of year evaluating what you need to do in the upcoming season. And if you need to scale back, do that. Like I'm, I often push, you know, to I'm always the positive do more, do better. Um, But like I hinted at a little bit, we've really got to scale back our operation this year We're we've got our lease ground is looking like it's going to be sold. So, you know, and I've got some changes coming up in my life um, and I'm starting to look at moving out of farming and so we're making some really big changes on the farm and we're going to scale back our production, um, so that we can help make those changes. And <clears throat> I think that's a, a really good point that you made as far as like what your year is looking like and try and plan accordingly. And if you can, you know, if you need to scale back, great, throw in some cover crops and scale back and only do a little bit, um, I'm never going to advocate for abandoning your garden, um, but you've got to evaluate your garden season based on your life. You know, maybe you've got a big family reunion this year or something, and you're going to be gone in July. You know, you might have to plan around that. Maybe you don't want to put in a crop that is coming on at that time or something along those lines, or you got to find a water or something. Um, But I think that's a really good suggestion, you know, while we're talking about this planting planning phase take into consideration your year vacations all those different things so that you can have a successful garden even if it's just flowers you know like flowers are tons of fun um or i
0: think they're like a waste of energy but i'm like hey they look good. They bring in the, they bring in the bees. I don't know. Like- yeah.
1: Pollinators and lots of them are edible. Like, I mean, you mm-hmm. can grow borage; It's edible. Like that calendula makes some of the best teas, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, and if you have to scale back, look for your local farmers and, you know, they can, they can help make up that ground that you weren't able to grow that year.
0: Well, what I really love about gardening too is like we just think about food, you know, we just think about growing food. But when I was in Washington, you know, Ryan was really the connoisseur of the food. He had the greenhouse, the tomatoes, and the peppers, and the grapes, and like all those things. But I had a front yard and I had boxes that I'd cultivated for many years that were full of herbs, medicinal herbs, um, perennial herbs, um, you know, dandelions. I have an entire recipe on my website for dandelion root tea. And every spring, uh, when I was cleaning up my front area, I would get dandelion roots that were like, you know, some of them were half a foot or longer long, big old roots, Um, because we had amazing soil that we had grown over the decades. And I would, instead of just taking those dandelions and throwing them away, right, I would dry the roots out, and I would grind them up and make tea with them and uh you could use the dandelion greens or whatever because we didn't spray we didn't we use none of that on our property but that area was kind of like my medicinal garden area i had all the italian herbs i had mints i had lemon balm i had um just plants that are not just food, but they're medicinal in nature. So that's another thing to think about is like, maybe you don't want to grow a bunch of veggies and you don't want to grow a bunch of brass casees and broccoli. Maybe you don't like those things. If you want to grow something, try growing some of these herbs, try planting perennials that will grow back and they will give you medicinal benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can use them as teas, you can use them as salves, you can use them um, in your food, because these are highly packed, nutrient dense, high in antioxidant, anthocyanins, you know, all these things that can help your body. And it's not necessarily like you have to grow and you can grow those things on your porch. I mean, you can grow good herb, herb gardens on a porch. Um, they tend sometimes to even be more resilient than the veggies do and stuff because they're used to... A lot of these plants have to learn how to be resilient in order. And that's how they make stronger medicine sometimes within themselves. So um, I think that's another thing. And that's another thing that I really miss. And I really want to do around here is to have my house surrounded by medicinal gardens. Um, My problem is commitment because I, I love the idea of that, but I would literally the, the size of my place and the clay soil and you know, the investigation that comes into doing that. But when I think back about what I loved about my gardens and um if you, you know, I have that dehydration and canning book on our website you can get for free if you go put your email in. Um that that was the first ebook Ryan and I ever did. It's the only ebook Ryan and I ever did. I mean someday I'm gonna do some more. But it's a good one. I I did sections on all the medicinal benefits, some of the foods that were in the recipes and those were all in my garden. All of those things I grew myself, you know, garlic, basil, dill, thyme, rosemary, oregano, mint. These are all basic things, but um, they're all medicinal. And that's what I love about those things. And so you can go get that and you can see the benefits of just even growing those kinds of things um, and using in your food. Um, I don't know. And I have this other dream of like starting a peony farm on my property because I could grow peonies here because they need to freeze in the winter and they're good with wind and they're good with clay soil and I'm like oh I could have a peony farm but then again how much time do I have like to be growing a peony farm right and um but these are the kinds of ideas that I come up with sometimes because I realize like Oh, maybe we're not in the best place to grow vegetables without a greenhouse. You know, um, I get it. So what else could I be doing with my property that could be giving me the benefit of touching plants and being with plants and, um, the healing quality that plants bring into people's lives that besides just food, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: There's
0: something about being with plants that is so, um, You know, it's like this, when you go to the grocery store and you buy like strawberries or raspberries, blueberries, whatever, it is almost sacrilegious for me to buy a thing of raspberries because in Washington, I had a raspberry patch that was 50 yards. Let's say it was huge, right? It was a huge, maybe not 50 yards maybe 20 yards. Okay. It was big. Like you could be out there every day doing an eight hour shift picking raspberries. This was like so many raspberries, but there was something about the raspberry plant. There was something about being in there, picking the raspberries, learning about the raspberry plant, replanting them, learning how they, the soil that they like, and, and then they produce this amazing fruit for you. And those are the things that I love about like your grapevine, you know, and then it's like, you go to the store and you buy these and you have no relationship to it. Like you don't understand like that. And that's what I miss. And that's what I love about being with the plants and having these, these experiences. And I, I think that, um, you know, as a physician and as somebody who helps people with their health and like, these plants are really powerful in how they can help you, whether you're eating them as a food or you're just spending time with them and you're trying to grow them and learn what they need right um and then then what they provide for you back that's that's what i love for it i'm more on an energetic level and um i don't know how i went down that rabbit hole but
1: i i think it started really well with herbs and it was a great rabbit hole um because you're (laughs) on, right um yeah like it, if you can't grow vegetables for whatever reason, and you know, and we talked about if you're in an apartment and you've got like a balcony or something, all of the plants you just listed out um, are phenomenal things to grow and they're so fun. And they, you know, like I got into wildcrafting and herbs kind of before I even introduced, you know, like I gardened maybe as a kid and whatnot, but um, I learned a lot about wildcrafting and herbs before I kind of got into the farming side of, you know, my adult life. And that is still a a big part of our life as well. However, because of the same thing, time, work and commitments, we don't have the herb garden that we would like. I I mean, Prairie would have a huge herb garden Mm -hmm. if she could. Um, but we don't have the time there. It's really challenging for us. And we don't even get out to wildcraft like we used to. Um, you know, like there used to be many, many more days going out into the woods looking for Red Root or um St. John's ward or, you know, uh Echinacea. Well, not Echinacea, sorry. Um trying to think of the Heartleaf one. Um, oh
0: Heart, uh, Arnica. Art, Arnica.
1: Yeah, arnica, which you know is is one of my favorite plants in the world because if you've never tried arnica salve for a you know sprain strain or bruise you're missing out um it is it is immediate i feel arnica salve when i put it on an injury immediate um
0: yeah yeah and- arnica is kind of one of those foundational things you should have in your home anyways if you have children and stuff even if it's just the homeopathic because It's so great for trauma, it's so great for bruising, it's great for falls, it's great for scrapes, it's just, um, it's also, you know, constitutionally used for the personality type of somebody who's had a major trauma, and they just go, I'm fine, I'm fine, nothing's wrong with me, and they kind of go in the corner and they hide, they hide from people, right, and they're having a massive trauma, like a car wreck or something, you know, think about something, and they're the person that's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, but they're like internalizing all their traumas and it's causing them illness. And so Arnica constitutionally is a great remedy for those people that have that kind of tough constitution. They don't like to admit to uh, wrongdoings and how they feel. They don't like to admit about how they feel. Um, And so Arnica is great for that as well. So if somebody's going through that or they just had a trauma or saw something bad, you know, Arnica is a great remedy as well. This is a great area for Arnica too, because the high mountains Arnica loves high and dry, right? We didn't have Arnica in the Pacific Northwest, uh, but we have it here because the reason that it is so good for scrapes and bruises and trauma is because it grows. It's quite a traumatic, it has to live quite a traumatic experience to grow. So it's Mm. the whole idea that Arnica itself has to live through trauma of the wind and the weather and the heat and the cold and all that in the high and dry climates to to even grow. And so that's why it's a good plant to use for those conditions.
1: It's also a really pretty little flower
0: it is it is.
1: And for the elk hunters out there, if you learn what pedicularis is, um, elk love to eat pedicularis. Um, and so you know if you're Looking for food sources. Um, if I see Pedicularis, I know that elk will be in that area at some point or another. Um, you know, what last does
0: Pedicularis look like?
1: Well, okay, so there's there's three or four different varieties of it. Um, so one of the easiest ones to identify is Elephant's Head, which if you look at the flowers, it, it kind of comes in a in a tall stalk, and the flowers. Um, I can't think of another flower that mimics it, but the flowers kind of are in a go around the stalk in kind of like a cattail type. Kind, mm. You know how the cattail is a cone type of thing that goes down the stem. Yeah. um elephant's head does the same thing. It's kind of a cone shape that goes down the stem with a serrated leaves that come off of the sides and it's usually a pretty pink or purple flower and it looks like an elephant's head it literally looks like you can see a trunk it's got the ears um and elk love it i i've mm. i've never been anywhere where i don't usually find elk eating it depending on you know like where the elk are in that time of year um and so if I identify that, um, when I'm hunting, I mark that, you know, like that's a place that they're going to frequent and go feed at times. <clears throat> and it's also a great herb It is. um, Oh, I think the application is going to slip me because I'm not as well versed anymore, but it's a really good, um, nerve vine, I can say that much. Mm. Um, and so if you've got like, herpes simplex b or a or b or c whichever form of herpes you have that can be like one of the things you could use that tincture for
0: so it's like an antiviral yeah mm-hmm. mm. can be yeah
1: um and then it's got who knows how many other i'd have to go get my my books and my notes to read up on it um but the point being is all of these things have relationships to what we're trying to get at overall which is slowing our life down, finding a way to be a little bit more in tune with the earth and the cycles of things. And then if we're also into the harvesting and hunting side of things, how does the relationship between different plants work with, um, you know, the animals, balsam root, you know, like, I, you know, like glacier lilies, you know, yeah. the Ryan and Brian and the boys are focused in on those things a lot more in their films these days. And they know the names, you know, like I remember when they first started kind of filming their spring bear hunts, they didn't know what a glacier quite quite was. Maybe Ryan did. Um, Or, you know, I know that yellow flower up there is really important, but they didn't know it was balsam root. And balsam root is one of the most important flowers of like Montana and Idaho and the the Natives, that was one of their primary sources um, for all sorts of different food and medicines. Um, so there's a lot of relationships that come into your life by trying to delve into these topics, whether it's gardening or herbs or whatever it is. Um, and it's, you know, it's all very much worthwhile to get you working down that road of that lifestyle that you're seeking. You know, if you're seeking the lifestyle that, you know, I'm fortunate enough to live or you guys are fortunate enough to live, um, then that's part of it, you know, that's one of the one of the paving stones of that lifestyle. And then then, you know, the trick is always finding the time to be able to go out and do those things.
0: Uh, let's give some final thoughts. I'll give my final thought, okay? okay. My final thought is, learn some things that you don't know. Slow down a little bit. Maybe grow one thing this year that you haven't grown before. Give yourself grace and give yourself a break in all things, not just gardening. (laughs) Okay. Um, Do the best you can. Help somebody, get to know somebody new, have a good debate, and still care for that person afterwards. And open your mind to the possibilities that this world could be if we could all just accept the fact that we're human beings and we need each other. Wow. I don't know if
1: I can top that. (laughs) I think, I I think I'll say um, to close things out that, um, you know, it's a good time of year to start thinking about your garden and what that might look like. Yep. And, you know, like part of the, you know, why doc and I started this garden segment was to like link gardening and the outdoors into our, you know, like everyday lives more. Try and help people understand the relationship between those two. And I think one of the things that's going to come out in this podcast is that that relationship is linked to everything. And I think if you can, you know, cultivate your own garden and that's outside in your, in your, you know, personal space in the ground, and then also cultivate your own, you know, garden within yourself you know your spiritual garden your mental garden your physical garden then you're going to have more resilience and you're going to have more capability to be more compassionate and understanding not only for the outside world and the environment but for the people around you and that to me is one of the biggest keys of life is a little more compassion a little more empathy and uh, we'll all be doing a lot better
0: Cool, well, Sean. Thanks for doing this. This is always fun. Uh, we'll do another one, come up with a topic again. Uh, winter's going to be gone pretty soon. It's going to be spring. So, yeah, what are the things that we talk to? We need to get ready for in the spring.
1: Um, let's do so. We have batted around the idea of doing um, people th- turning in questions to us. So, let's do that next. Yeah, yeah?
0: let's do questions. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Sean, where can everybody contact you if they want to?
1: Yeah, you can still get me in the same places. Everything is under um, our farm's name. So Frank's Little Farm. Um, Instagram is your best place as far as social media goes. I'm just not very good about keeping up with Facebook. Um, it's not my thing. Or you can uh, email me at frankslittlefarm@gmail.com, at um, And you can go to our website, frankslittlefarm.com dot com if you want to call or if you're in the area stop by the farm look us up
0: cool all right thanks sean
1: okay until thanks next all. time yeah bye, bye.